theyeshiva.net. Okay, we're going to learn, we're going to start today, Be'ezer Hashem, the first mimer of Parshas Shlach and Lekutetayra, Daf Lamed Vav Omud Gimel, Lamed Vav, column 3, or page 72, Parshas Shlach, you see in the middle of the page. This discourse was said by the Baal Atanya in the year Tov Kuf Samach Zayin, which in the secular calendar would be equivalent to 1807. And it opens up with the opening posik of Parshish Shlach, which is Shlach Lecha Anashim. The Parsha of Shlach Parsha of Shlach tells, of course, the well-known, infamous story of the spies, the Miraglim, the twelve spies that Moshe Rabbeinu sent to scout the Holy Land, Eretz Yisrael, as a preparation for Jews entering it and settling it. And what promised to be such a great moment in Jewish history, a glorious mission with a glorious outcome, ends up becoming a catastrophic disaster. Not only do the spies not serve their purpose of uh, motivating and empowering the people and helping Moshe plan the strategy of entry into their promised land, but what they accomplish successfully is they dissuade the entire nation from entering the land and from a state of exhilaration, they plunge them into a state of hopelessness and despair and depression, they feel that they are facing the abyss. They, their wives, and all their children will be decimated and exterminated. And a mass revolt and mass hysteria overtakes the entire nation, which cannot fathom the reason that they would be taken out of Egypt simply to face new enemies up in the Holy Land in Eretz Yisrael to be destroyed and exterminated. The result of that tragic episode, as we know, is Hashem tells Moshe they don't want to go in. They won't go in, and they'll remain in the desert for the remainder of their lives. So all those who at that time were at age 20 would perish over the next 40 years in the desert. They would not go into the land, and only their children, who were younger than 20, will enter into the land, and only after 40 years of wandering in the desert. That, in a few sentences, sums up the story of Shlach. The big question, which is of course the backdrop of the entire story, and which plagued all of the Mepharshim from the beginning of uh, the time when commentary was written on Chumash, is what exactly happened? How can people become transformed so swiftly and so dramatically? Now, if Moshe Rabbeinu would have chosen rabble-rousers, if you would have chosen, you know, Dawson and Aviram, troublemakers. Okay, troublemakers are made to make trouble. That's what they do. That's what they do for a living. But Moshe Rabbeinu, the Pasuk itself says, He chose men of prominence. He chose leaders of Israel. Rashi says they were they were extremely high regard. Moshe chose them. He, he hand-picked them. This wasn't... Uh, a choice that they made. He handpicked them. So he knew he was handpicking. He must have handpicked, and he handpicked great people, inspired people, noble spirits. So we can understand that people go through changes. We can understand that people 
go through transformations, but such dramatic transformation, and most of them, ten of them, it's not one or two, the majority of them, besides two, were completely metamorphosized to the point that they can openly rebel against the entire plan, the whole strategy, the whole mission was to leave Egypt, to go to the mountain of Har Sinai, and to enter into the land. That was initially the promise. It wasn't just to leave Egypt. I'm going to bring you to the land flowing with milk and honey, and everything gets turned around. By, they turn around by 180 degrees. Not a 90 degree turn, not a 45 degree turn, a 180 degree turn. What is, the, what is behind it? All the Mepharsha struggle with this. Everyone has a different interpretation. One of my favorite is the Klayakar. Klayakar writes that Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha Anoshim. If you ask me, he says, don't send men, only women. Send only women. For this mission, do not send men. Because women have an appreciation of Eretz Yisrael. They will bring back the message you need. If Moshe said, I'm going to send women. I can't send women. I have to send men. He said, Shlach Lecha That's up to you. I'm not behind this. With men, it's going to, the plan is going to get ruined. This is the 16th century. Early 17th century. This is not 2017. That's the Klayoka's interpretation. But, of course, it still begs the question, how did this happen to men? In such <coughs> that's on so it's that's on you. It's on you. You want to send men, it's on you. Rashi says, The common denominator in all the commentators, whichever before Shemuel Rit, whether it's the Klayaka, whether it's Rashi, whether it's the Ramban, whether it's the Sephardim, whether it's the Rachayim, whether it's the Chizkuni, the early Mepharshim, the later Mepharshim, the Medrashim, the common denominator is that simply fear entered into their hearts. There was an element of, of fear and dread that overwhelmed the people. They, the fear of failure, the fear of defeat, the fear of death. As long as it was hearsay, as long as it was the stages of preparation, as long as it was still theory, you can have courage. But once they had to face the reality and they faced it, they were overtaken by a horrible sense of dread and fear of failure. That's the literal interpretation, if it's twisted this way or that way. But they feared failure, failure on all levels. They are going to be destroyed, and their families will be destroyed. And therefore, there was a change of heart. The novelty of this Maimer, and one of the great chidushim of the Balatanya in this sugi is... An exact opposite interpretation. The spies did not fear failure. What they feared was success. Their fear was not that they wouldn't make it. Which raises too many questions according to him. Remember, these are people who saw Yitzhiya Shmitzrayim. This was not hearsay. They didn't read it in textbooks. They saw the ten plagues. They saw the splitting of the sea. They saw Matan Torah. In fact, if you would have asked them, Maraglam, before you gave the speech, what did you have for dinner? They would say, Mana. Say, where did this come from? Where did you buy it? Where did you buy it? The pizza store. Say, oh, it came from heaven. Really? How does food come from heaven? They would give you 101 Judaism. What? God is limited. 
God wants food to come. What do you have for drink? They say, oh, we have this rock that comes with us and gives us water. So miracles for them was reality. So what do you mean they're afraid of entering an so What are you afraid of? So therefore what he's going to explain is they're not afraid of defeat. They're afraid of success. They're afraid that the mission is not going to be a, a, a failure. It's going to be a success. <laughs> and that's what they're afraid of. That's a whole different type of fear. There's fear that you're going to fail, and there's much deeper fear that you're going to succeed. Fear of failure, we could send you to therapy for. There's ways of dealing with it. Fear of success is a whole different type of fear. You're afraid that you're going to be successful. It's a whole different in you. That's the, the context behind this mind. Let's see inside. Shlach lecha to understand the concept of the spies, they were leaders of the people. Men of renown. Anshishe means men of renown, of reputation. Why wouldn't they want to go into Tetzisro? And all the explanations still are lacking. By extension, we also want to understand what is the essence of Eretzisro. Shem always praises, how could people be critical of this country? It flows with milk and honey. It flows with milk and honey. Why is that the praise, the quintessential praise to convey, huh? Petroleum reserves. Why is that the quintessential praise? Eretz zavas chalavod vosh. It flows with milk and honey. In order for this, we have to understand the hine kol amitzvus maisius rubam kekulam tluyim davkebertisra. The fact remains that most, most mitzvus maisius, mitzvus maisius means. Mitzvahs that entail action, physical action, depend on the geographical location of the land of Israel. Especially the whole domain of Zroyim, agricultural mitzvahs, and Kachim, the mitzvahs of Karbonis. True, in the desert they had Karbonis temporarily. But the permanent place where you bring carbonus cannot be in the diaspora, outside of the land. It had to be in the land. The question was if it was in the Mishkan or ultimately in the Beis HaMikdash, but always in Eretz The truth is, as well, all the mitzvahs connected to Zerayim, basically all the agricultural mitzvahs, whether you're dealing with Trumas, Maisras, Matnas Kohuna, Bikurim, Shemitah, Yoival, etc., all this depends exclusively on the region, the geographical soil of Eretz Yisrael. So most mitzvahs are connected, you need Eretz Yisrael, mitzvahs maizis. This means that Eretz Yisrael is not Stam, a land where Jews live. But rather, it's a land that is connected to Judaism. In other words, every nation needs a homeland. So Eretz Yisrael is not the technical place where Jews happen to live. The fact that most mitzvahs depend on Eretz Yisrael means that there's something about Eretz Yisrael that is connected to Torah, it's connected to Yiddishkeit. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's not the same experience. 
the Pasuk says, in Parshas Ekev, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but rather on that which comes out from the mouth of God. On the word of Hashem does man live. Here we have to understand what is the advantage of bread that we need it to eat. Man was also created through God's utterance. It says in Parshas Bereshis, Shem said, let us make man. Why is the human being then dependent on bread for his life sustenance? This was a question he brought up also in other Maimarim. We once learned the Maimar Sheish Yisrael and Techel Matzas. Pesach Maimar, look at the title of Ayikra last year. Look at the Torah Tzav. That's a Pesach Dikamayim. And in other places. The question here is, as he elaborates there, the Arizal says, What's Pshat Loyal Alechem Levada Yechiyadam Kamoitza Piyashem Yechiyadam? It's not like people think you don't live on bread, you live on God's energy. So what do you need bread for? The Arizal says it means deeper. It means you're not living from the bread of the bread. You're living from the energy in the bread. And the energy that the bread gives you is the Moitza Piyashem. All bread comes from grain. Grain is produce that grows from the earth. All produce exists and lives and continues to propagate and perpetuate because Asarim Amaris, the world was created through Hashem's utterances. The letters, the divine energy that instructed and constitutes the essence of all produce, the whole world of botany. There is Moitzapi Hashem, there is the divine energy that gives every single plant, flower, bush, tree, vegetable, fruit, and every stalk of grain and every kernel of grain, which is then grinded into flour, kneaded with water, and turned into lechem, there is energy there. Just like there is physical energy, what it does for the body, that itself is a symptom. It's an outer layer of spiritual energy. That's called Moitzah Piyashem. That's what the result says. Moitzah Piyashem means that which came from the mouth of God that is in the brain, in the bread. Whenever you're eating a food, it's not the food that's giving you the energy, it's the Moitzah Piyashem in the food. There is spirituality in food. There is energy in food. Energy we mean here, not only energy in terms of physical energy that you're going to get, that, is, that itself, what is that? That's basically a, a shell, a husk that contains within it divine energy. Is this the idea, is this the idea of Ein Lecha Esav Molmata? Yeah, yeah. That's what Chazal say in Medrash. There's no blade of grass below that doesn't have a spiritual force. What Chazal call a mazel above that strikes it and says, grow, grow, grow. Which explains the genius of plants and bushes. How do they know to do what they do? How do they know to do? The genius and the brilliance. It's good to study one day because what we in a thousand years we can't figure out what a stupid, what, what seems like stupid, it's not so stupid, what a little plant does in order to propagate, in order to survive. How do, how do you turn sunlight into sugar? And how do you make sure you're being pollinated? And how the male and the female make sure to come together to create a new generation of seeds? And they know all this. They know all this. You see a plant, you should, uh, you should bow down such, such wisdom. It seems like such brilliant wisdom. And the answer, of course, is there's an amazel um, melmaila, in other words, hamaka boy vamelagdal. 
there are messages that are communicated to these plants. They are created with a, with a tremendous, I don't know if we call it instinctive wisdom, but with a tremendous program code that is a very profound code, a divine code. So therefore, we eat the lechem, not the lechem gives man life, the moitzapi Hashem and the lechem. But here the Balatanya asks a further question. The human being also has moitzapi Hashem. We also have divine energy. We come because Hashem said Nasa Adam, just like He said Desha on the third day. On the sixth day, He said Nasa Adam. Why is Archius then dependent on the grain? The grain. The world of botany doesn't depend on the human being, at least much of it. But the world of the human being depends on the world of botany. We wouldn't be able to survive. None of us would be able to live without it. So He says, Achain in the Pshat is. Here he summarizes the explanation that he discussed in other Maimara, and that is that the divine energy in doimim, doimim means all minerals, inorganic matter. Tzoymeach is the world of growth, the world of botany, the botanic kingdom. Chai is the animal kingdom, which we all depend on as as staple as as our for our survival and sustenance. The Moitzapi Hashem represent in Kabbalah the two hundred and eighty eight sparks that fell down during the breaking of the vessels. Knowing, known as Olam Atoyu, before our world was created, there was a world of chaos. Ha'aretz Oisa, Soyu Vavoyu, Viruach Elokim, Merachefes. Merachefes is two words. Reish Peiches Meis. That says, 288 sparks died. What do we mean they died? They departed from the vessels because the vessels in Toyu broke and a lot of the sparks fell. And on the debris of that destruction, our world was created. And the Adam comes from the world of Tikkun. And therefore, he needs to get his chiyus from all these components, because the root of their sparks is higher than him. So the food needs us, we also need the food. I, I have my own chiyus, that's true. But the moitzapi Hashem, in the, in, the, in the bread, in the grain, and other sources of, of sustenance, is higher, more lofty, more sacred, more divine, than the energy in the person. And therefore the person gets from them. This brings us to a more general theme. It's not just the food that we eat. It's the whole concept of birth. What is birth? The soul comes down where? To this Olam Haza, which is shuffle. It's a very lowly world. And a major part of its mission is to subdue the other side, meaning the other side means the side of unholiness. So the Zoyer has an expression in Parshas Truma. When unholiness is subdued, the glory, Yikara means glory, covet. The glory of Hashem will expand everywhere. This is like the advantage of light, quoting Apostle in Kehelas. The advantage of light that comes from darkness. So just like when I need food, 
it's because there's something in the food that I will gain from that I cannot have without the food. So the food needs me, but I also need the food because there's a spark. There are sparks in the food that the human being can grow from. So we live. What we mean we live? Our soul and our bodies live through this food. So it's the animal and the trees that give us life even though we seem superior to them. But they have something that is superior to us and therefore they help us grow and live and they sustain us. The same is true more generally. The whole soul needs to journey down into a much lower world where it must deal with unholiness because from that darkness it will achieve a much deeper light than any light it could have achieved without that darkness. Just like without the animal kingdom, without the botanic kingdom, without the doimim, I wouldn't be able to get a certain chayas that I need. An example for this would be Take from the world of, of Tzemech. Take a seed and plant it in the ground, in the earth. It rots. The seed rots. It becomes completely decomposed and deteriorates in the earth. Only through that decomposition can it then grow with tremendous abundance. Far, far more than what the seed contained if you just leave it as a seed. Again, the light comes from the darkness. If you have a seed of a tree or a seed of grain or any seed and you keep the seed to yourself, all you have is a seed. You plant it in your field, in your orchard, it decomposes, it gets ruined. It gets ruined. In other words, it's a yerida for the seed. The seed has to become degraded. And yet, only through that can this seed produce an abundance of grain or fruits or vegetables far, far, far more than the seed itself. So here again, by going into a place where it is destroyed, so to speak, it grows in a whole new way. Literally, the Pasuk in Ecclesiastes and Kehelis means that the advantage of light can only be appreciated in contrast to darkness. Contrasts helps you appreciate things. What he's saying here is more obviously that the greatest art comes min from the encounter with darkness, from the struggle with the darkness. For the seed to become something far greater, it must decompose. For the soul to achieve its ultimate light, it must go through the darkness. And for the person to reach his chayis, he must go down into the world of daimim and semeich and chay. What does this mean? What's the reason for this? Beating and explanation, and this is Hine Eliyahu Amar B'Tikunim. Eliyahu Hanavi says in Tikunim. Tikunim is there's a section of Zayar, a whole sefer of Zayar called Tikune Zayar. Basically, it's a commentary on the word Bereshis. Seventy interpretations for the word Bereshis that constitutes a book called Tikune Zayar. The introduction of Tikune Zayar opens with these words. Posach Eliyahu v'Omar. Reb Shimon Bar is quoting what he heard from Eliyahu Hanavi. Eliyahu opened and said, In some communities they say it Friday afternoon before Mincha. Posach Eliyahu v'Omar. He's quoting from Eliyahu Hanavi in the introduction to Tikkun Eizayah. That's why he calls it Tikkun. Quote, Antu da pikas asar tikkunin. You, are the one who emitted ten garments. And you gave them a name. 
You call them the ten spheres, the ten numbers. Sphere means a number, like sphere Saimer. Ten numbers. Lam Hagavain Almond Stimmin the Loyas Galyan. The almond is galyan. And through them you lead, you conduct the hidden worlds that are not revealed and the worlds that are revealed. So you emit it from yourself ten characteristics, ten numbers, ten spheres. And through them you run the worlds, all the worlds, the hidden worlds and the revealed worlds. Almond stimmin, stimmin means hidden from the word sasum, secret. Concealed words like sasum, it's, it's plugged, it's, it's eclipsed. And almond is galyan, and word, words that are, worlds that are revealed. So the Balatanya explains. Almin umaloshin hella. The word almin, which is Aramaic for oilamais, oilam comes from the word helam. So Gamarim Psachan. The word oilam means a world, but it really comes from the word helam, which means la olam ulaome maya. Concealed also. Could the world conceal Zeshmi la olam. Vinikra bizoyar hechalas. And zoyar oilamas are called hechalas chambers. Hechalachesed, hechalagvura, hechalaschus. In each of these worlds you have souls which enjoy, who enjoy the radiance of the Divine Presence. And you also have angels who stand with love and awe and dread. The camp of Michal, the camp of Gavriel, one is a camp of Malachim that stand in love and in awe. The Gemara says in Chagiga, a river of fire, dinur means a fire, a river of fire comes out of the sweat of Chayas HaKodesh. Chayas HaKodesh are a certain level of angels. We say in the morning, holy Chayas. From the sweat of the Chayas HaKodesh, you have Nahar Dinur, you have a river of fire coming out. These are Malachim that stand in a state of fire of Gvur. Each of the neshamas and malachim sing, each one according to his comprehension. When we say a heichel, a heichel is a world, a chamber, which is like a klal, it's a container that includes many individuals. Like the heichel hachesed, it represents a chamber of chesed, but it contains all aspects of chesed. It'll contain chachma and chesed, and chesed and chesed, but it's all within the general heichel called chesed. And each, each sphere has a heichel. Each sphere has its own heichel. Right, right, yeah. Each contains all the ten spheres, even though it's Primarily focused on one, like Heichel Chesed, but it contains Chesed Shabbat Chesed and Gvur Shabbat Chesed and Tiferes Shabbat Chesed. Ukamoshal Ha'Eagle Obayis Shekolim Kol Apratim Shabbat The metaphor graphically would be a circle, an eagle, and in the circle, like a ball, you can have contained many details, or like a house. A house is a container. In that house, you have so many different pieces of furniture, but they all have a common theme. They belong to this house. And of course, a good architect and a good contractor and a good designer, the house has a certain style. And <laughs> you can make yourself quite crazy. And everything has to belong to the genre of this house. And of chas v'shalom, something doesn't match completely out. So it doesn't mean the house only has one thing. The house has many things, but somehow all the things are unified by a common theme, which is the circle, the ball, or the house. The zel, peter, almond. 
That's what the Zohar means, Elio, one of means. You created these ten spheres with which to run the worlds. Almin ebchines ha'echolos. Almin, these are the chambers, ebchines ha'koylelos, which encompass many details. Ula'an hoga, and to lead the worlds, ebchines ha'prati yushabasoichem. There's all the pratim, all the details in each of these hechalas. Vahechal, the hechal is called an oilam, why? Umaylam of master erin seif barachal. Because it conceals the infinite light, it should not be revealed to all those which are in the worlds, the angels and the souls, only to the capacity of their own comprehension, they shouldn't become nullified within infinity, blessed be he, because they are all finite, they were all created, something from nothing, Therefore, they're not in the same realm as the Ein Soif, which has no beginning and no end. They have a beginning. They were created Yesh Meyayin, something from nothing. Yesh Meyayin means there's a beginning, because something from nothing means that the antecedent of this of the something was nothing. That was its that was its that's its beginning. So there was a this space of this something previously, so to speak, it wasn't existing. There was nothing. So you say Yesh Loit has a beginning. And it has an end. Everything that has a beginning, by definition, always has an end. But here, but here we're dealing with Ein Saif. Ein Saif has no beginning and has no end. It's not a type of reality that could have a beginning and therefore couldn't have an end. So people ask, you know, God created the world, where did the world come from? And where did God come from? So you're dealing with a type of reality that Ein Loit Chilet has no beginning and has no end. So therefore, so the Heichel needs to serve as an oilam iloshin helam. It needs to conceal and eclipse the oil of the Ein Soif so that they should be able to contain it only according to their capacity. Because if there would be no concealment, there would be no way that they could remain intact as creatures, as existences, because they're Balikvul, they're finite. And they're not Ein Soif. Ein Soif has no beginning and no end. How can they experience the reality of no beginning and no end and remain who they are? So therefore the Heichel must serve as a buffer, so to speak. A buffer zone. The Oilam has an element of concealment. And once you hit the world called Atzillus, you'll already have light and vessels. Light represents the air, and Kalim represents the helam, the concealment. Until through many evolutions, many chains, there will be a world that we recognize, a heaven and an earth that is physical, in which no godliness will be seen at all. All you see in our world is a yesh, something that exists, an ego, that is separate and distinct from Hashem. And this is what's called in Torah Sakabbalah, Sitra Achira, the other side. So you have all the world that the Zayar talks about, Almond Stimin. There are also worlds of concealment. Why? Because each world is a buffer zone that has to limit the infinite light, so that all the souls and all the angels, which don't stop singing, what do, what do they sing? They sing because they're experiencing the light of the source, and they're singing, they're celebrating that relationship. 
They're celebrating their, their source. That's why they're always singing. They're in tune. They have this... They're, 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 they're in touch with the rhythm of, of creation. And they're always saying Shira. But what are they singing about? Everyone is singing a different song based on its understanding of life. Huh? Yeah, based on who it is and what it appreciates. It sings, it dances, it celebrates. You see the dance of sea dragons? <laughs> the certain uh, fish creatures are called sea dragons, and they meet each other, the male and the female, and then the Hepton Tansen. These videos they took from underwater, Metansta, Metansta, Metansta. Seahorses? Dragons. They dance. They dance and dance and dance, yeah. And then she deposits all the eggs on him and he carries them. It's an interesting situation over there. So every Nivra has its own understanding of what creation is and it sings. You wake up 4.30 in the morning and you see what's going on. Everybody is asleep besides the, the birds. Eh, they're, they're, they're busy. They're saying Shira. It already begins in the higher worlds. But they can only say Shira according to their capacity. And their capacity is based on the Heichel that they're in. Heichel HaSchus, Heichel HaChesed, Heichel HaGvura, Heichel HaNetzach, Heichel HaTiferes. And in each Olam you have a lot going on. All the creatures that are connected to that world. But there's always a level of concealment. So they should be able to retain the Ur within their own identity. If not, they would dissolve back into infinity which has no beginning and no end. But their identity is based on the fact that they have a beginning. And they have an end. They're created Yeshmeyayin. There's an element of I. Everyone has an element of I. And that is how we're created. We're supposed to have that element, so to speak. That element of I. Right? That sense that I exist. And that I means there's a beginning. Yeshmeyayin. It's, it's an I that's separate. It's distinct from the source. After many evolutions, you have a world like this world. In this world, there's no Shira. We don't sing. Naturally, meaning there's no alakust that's seen. Godliness is completely invisible. That's why we call this world a yesh, an egotistical, detached reality, davar nifrit, and what Kabbalah calls sitrachir, the other side. The other side means the side that does not recognize the connection with the source, which is ain't saif. We can now appreciate the extent of what birth really means, that the soul descended to this world, dafka this world, not the higher worlds, Olam Haza HaShafel, the lowest world, and the whole Yerida, the whole descent, this is an expression of Masech Makas, he speaks over there about, about, about uh, people who murder by mistake, but the expression he uses here, the descent is for the sake of an ascent. Meaning, in order to subdue, to challenge this sense of sitra'achra, the sense of unholiness. The first thing is through surmeirah, through staying away from ra, which is extremely tempting in this world. Because the world has an appearance of being completely not divine, so therefore to stay away from ra in this world is basically combating the essential fabric of reality which tempts you into the world of Ra. So that's the first way through which you subdue Sitra By your days, through this desire, now, now you understand the words of the Zoya. And they have now a new depth. The Zoya says again, we quote, 
Kadiskafia Sitra Acher. When Sitra Acher is subdued, Istalik Yikara the Kuchabrichu Bukhulu Alma. The light of Hashem extends into all of the worlds. After his introduction, you can now understand what the Zoyah means. Without breaking Sitra Acher, the light of God will not extend into all the worlds. Because all the worlds are basically Oilemis Milosh and Helam. They're all containers that conceal. They're all buffer zones. They access a little bit, but they conceal much more than they allow. They're filters. They're filters. So they, they filter out much most of the energy. When the Neshama comes into this world and deals with Sitra Akhira, something unprecedented happens in all of the universes. That's what he says. That all the kalim, all the vessels, and all the chambers which we explained where the oilam is from the world elam, should not anymore conceal the light of the Ein-Soif. Instead they should become vessels that absorb the revelation of the Ein-Soif. Through, this is the second component in our world, staying away from Ra, that's the Skafisit Racher, that's subduing the unholiness. I have to stay away from things that are called Ra. And it's not easy, you have to fight often. The second thing is, Asaytoyv, doing well, doing positive. The mitzvahs ma'asis, which represent 248 mitzvahs, the desire calls 248 limbs of the king. Why are they called limbs of the king? Kivayachal, each mitzvah is another limb of Hashem. So just like we have our 248 limbs in our physical organism, Kivayachal Hashem also has an organism, which represents the 248 mitzvahs, and just like every limb accesses, it's a channel for the energy of the person, for the soul. So each mitzvah is a channel for the Ein Saif, so it, it, it turns all the Heichalas into Kalim for Ein Saif. First there has to be like the order in the Pasuk, first Surmeira to subdue on all of this. You have to be able to contain and culti- cultivate the discipline, not to go astray after your heart and after your eyes. Because if a person goes astray after their heart, after their eyes, then ultimately they surrender, they lose themselves in Sitra Achara. Instead of being part of the solution, they become part of the problem. And through the Loisasuru, which is Surmeira, is the What that does is, it, so to speak, it uh, bursts the walls, and the glory of Ein Saif extends everywhere in all the worlds. Once you have this, then through Asetoiv, they can all receive the revelation of Ein Saif, Lamata even below. Through the 248 mitzvahs. So there is two stages. There's the Surmeira stage that, so to speak, challenges all the concealments. How does that happen? Down here. Down here you have the greatest concealment of all. Basically means you look at something 
and you don't take it at face value. You say you're hiding something, and you bust, you, you, you burst through it, you bust the bubble. There's a wall, there's a blockage, right? And you're banging on the wall, you know that there's something on the other side. And you refuse to give up, and the wall says there's nothing on the other side. This is it. This is life. What does the Skafis et mean? You don't accept it. You continue to punch the wall. And at some point, you know, your knuckles are hurting pretty badly. And the wall says there's nothing on the other side. But you fight and you fight and you fight. So when that happens in this world, it has a ripple effect. Bechulu Almin, in all the worlds, all the concealments are revealed to be not authentic blockages that are really substantive but rather, they are seen all as opportunities, as catalysts, as channels, that they were really all made to overcome, so to be able to go deeper. So when you weaken a wall of the ear, you weaken it for everyone. Atazai. Atazai. In other words, this world, this world is the, you know, is the source of electricity. What's the source of electricity about us? The Niagara Falls, Right? Over here, we challenge the core of the concealment on its deepest level, the sitrachan on its deepest level. So that has a domino effect that on every level, right, the security guards in the towers that are basically blocking all access, when you tackle that, so in all the worlds it's revealed that the blockages are only from one perspective. They're only from our perspective. The Sitar was simply an invitation to be able to reveal its futility. Once you can do that, so then its nothingness emerges. So then in all the world, in all the worlds, it's revealed that the Olam is the Helen, ultimately is not a real Helen. It's not a real concealment. It's not like the Ein Soif is not there. It's just to allow for the freedom of choice, to allow the person to flex his muscles. To allow for the autonomy, the famous marshal from the Balshamtiv that the Toldos Yaakov Yosef brings, that basically conveys this idea in one of the Balshamtiv's metaphors, and that is that there was a king who asked everybody to come visit him in the palace. But as you came to visit, you saw one wall and another wall and another wall, and each wall was more frightening than the other wall. So this one stopped short, and then another one went, what, and he stopped, everybody, and then there was just one man, who, he didn't care, he just, the king said to come, he went, he plowed through, he plowed through, he comes to the king, he looks around, there was nothing there, there was nothing there, the entire concealment was, only from his perception, in order to make him the human being, that he's supposed to become, but it's not like there was a real wall, it's not like there was a real blockage, Knowing that when you're fighting the war is very helpful. Because basically, the temptation becomes much weaker. The power of temptation is always its absolute authority. Its absolute appeal. The dictator says, this is it. There's nothing besides me. This is the truth of reality. Right? So if if there's one thing that people could know, and that is not to be afraid of their thoughts and their emotions and become paralyzed by it, that knowledge itself can change the world. 
think about what I just said. So let's uh, summarize what we learned yesterday. There's an expression in Zohar, and that's really a key phrase throughout this Mimer, in Zohar HaKadosh Parshish Truma. The expression is, Literal translation, when Sitra Achara, when the other side gets subdued, the glory, Yikara, Yakra, like Layehudim, Ayesa, Simchazos, and Vikar, Yakra, the Kuchabrichu, the Yakras, the covet, the light, the, the glory of Hashem, Istalik. Istalik here doesn't mean departs, leaves, it means it extends, it spreads, Bechulu Almin, and all over the worlds. And as the Zoyar puts it over there, that this is accomplished through Iskafi, Sitra Achara, more than anything else. And the light of Hashem extends to all the worlds in a more intense fashion, in a more powerful way than through anything else. But the condition is, the prerequisite for that is, Iskafi, Sitra Achara. The subduing of, from the word Kfiya, Kaifa, the subduing, the subjugation, the confrontation, the battle against Sitra Achara, the other side, unholiness. What is the meaning of these words? And why does the Zoya says, B'chulu almin? It doesn't say the covet of Hashem extends in this world. It says, B'chulu almin in all of the worlds. So the Maimer comes to explain and says that the word almin, the word worlds, oilamos in Hebrew, is almin in Aramaic. Almin means worlds in Aramaic, which this is like oilamos, which means worlds from the word oilam. The word oilam whether it's in Aramaic or in Hebrew, is irrelevant, but the etymology of it is the word helam, concealment. Why is that the etymology of the word oilam? You would think oilam should describe something positive, not something negative. The definition of the world is concealment, but he says that's exactly what it is. The definition of the world is concealment. Why is that the definition of the world? Because the definition of the world is identity. Whatever the identity inhabiting that world is. You can have a spiritual world, you can have a physical world. You have metaphysical universes, you have physical universes. You have oilamus ain't misper, you have endless worlds. But the common denominator of every universe, from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low, or in Kabbalistic terminology, from oilam ha'atzilus, which is the highest of the high, to oilam ha'asiyah, which is the world we inhabit, the world of action, the world of brute materialism and physicality, they both have a common denominator. The common denominator is they exist because the Ein Soif is concealed. There is a hell. The level of concealment varies, and it varies dramatically. You can't compare the nature of concealment in the world of Atzillus to the nature of concealment in the world of Vriya, the world of Yitzira, the world of Asiya. It's a completely different level of concealment. But the common denominator is that if there would be no concealment, in other words, if the Ein Soif, if infinity, would be fully present and manifested, then no universe can exist. Because every universe is based on some sense of identity. It may be a spiritual identity. The identity of an angel is not a physical identity. It's a spiritual identity. It's an energy. It's a spiritual energy. It's an energy of love. But to have an energy of love, there has to be identity. I love you. Right? There's no love without I, although in texting you could say love you, but because uh, in texting you don't even have to write you, you could just make a you. Texting bre- breaks all the sane rules of uh, proper communication and eloquence. That's why they should forbid it. <laughs> People don't know how to communicate anymore verbally. 
There's no you, there's no I, there's nothing. But, okay, that's a separate discussion. But the point is, all love, or awe, there's identity, I love. I love. There's a Moedidic story, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, was once traveling through a city. There was a widow who had two boys. So she brought her two boys up to his wagon, with his coach, where he was sitting to get blessed, to get, get, receive a blessing. One of the little boys, his name was Yisrolik. So when he comes up to the wagon to get a bracha, he asks the Balatanya, he says, can I ask a question? He says, sure. So this was his question. A little boy, eight years old, nine years old. His name was Yisraelik. His question was, I'll say it in Yiddish, he says, his question was as follows. Once a Jew says, which means not only that there's one God, but that God is oneness, and oneness is God, and Hashem is one means, He's the only one, it's the only reality. So how do you say, you should love God. You means there's a you, there's a sense of you, and you should love, you should experience an emotion. Where's the you to experience an emotion? The boy asked. Eight-year-old kid, nine-year-old So the Alter Rebbe went into a dvekas, he went into a, a, trance, a spiritual trance, and he looks at the boy and he says, Because <laughs> in between you say, and Alter Rebbe then said, he said, A kind von acht yar frekt was chsidim dreisik yar freginish. He said, a child, he was a, he said, a child of nine years asked a question that people who are here for 30 years didn't ask. Now this boy happened to grow up and became Rabbi Saul Ruziner, the holy of Ruziner. The Heiler, as he's known, the Heiliker Ruziner. He wasn't a regular boy. But when he was a kid, this was the question he asked the Balatanya. And of course, the answer wasn't stomach, it was an answer. In Zoyar it says that Shema Yisrael is a higher level of unity and Baruch Shem is a lower level of unity. So he says, Taka, between Shema and Vahafta, you have to say Baruch Shem. If you would go from Hashem Echot to Vahafta, there's a challenge. And it's interesting that elsewhere he explains in one of the Maimarim, there's a mission in Psachim, Anshe Yerichai, Hoyu Kurchin es Shema, Veloi Hoydulam Chacham. The Jews in Yerichai used to sandwich Shema. So the Gemara asks him, Psachim, what's Pshat Kurchim as Shema? One of the interpretations is they deleted Baruch Shem. They got rid of Baruch Shem. Kurchim as Shema. They made a sandwich between Shema and Vahavta. They smashed them together. They got rid of Baruch Because in Tchumash, you don't have Baruch Shem. The whole Sugim Psachim about Baruch Shem, Daf Nun. That's not a sandwich, that's an ice sandwich. Huh? <laughs> a sandwich would be if they said Baruch It's a wrap. Yeah. A wrap, I guess. <laughs> they, they wanted to wrap it together. Kurchim from the word like, um, they wanted to wrap it together. They wanted to connect it together. Huh? In other words, they wanted a whole different type of experience, which I'll call upon him. The point here is every world, even the highest of the high, there's an element of identity. There's a beginning and an end. Is yesh meyayin something from nothing? Something from nothing means the somethingness was preceded by nothingness. Ein soif, ein ein It has no beginning. And it has no end. 
So therefore, if Ein Saif was present, it excludes any other reality, because every other reality, on some level, there's a finite identity, there's a definition. Again, even if it's a very, very spiritual and godly definition, there's absolute divine awareness. But the very fact of divine awareness means that there is already a concealment. So because there's a concealment, so every oilam, or what the Zayar calls every heichel, every chamber, is a place of concealment. How deep the concealment, how contained the light, how limited the light, that varies. Not silas, you have kalim already, before that you don't have kalim, but that already varies. But the result is that in our world, you have a complete yesh, where you can't see godliness at all. Also a concealment, but the most drastic concealment, the most intense husk, to the point that the world seems completely separate, completely detached. Which means that the real confrontation with darkness happens in this world. Because in this world, the darkness, the concealment reaches its crescendo. It reaches its zenith. It reaches its ultimate. It can't get any darker. In Tanya, the Alter Rebbe has an expression that this world is Oilam Haza Tachten, She'ein Tachten Lamata Mimeno, Bemadrege. You can't get a Tachten that is lower. Every conceivable type of concealment exists in this world. You could walk this planet for 60, 70, 90, 120 years and be a proud atheist and win a Nobel Prize for it too. Right? Comfortably. And you're considered not only normal, you're considered sophisticated, you're considered more sophisticated than uh, a lot of other people. On the contrary, because you don't believe. In other words, the world lends itself to a place full of questions, dilemmas, philosophical, theological, and of course psychological and emotional. It's a place of helam. It's an oilam ilashen helam. Every world is oilam ilashen helam. But here, the helam reaches a point where you have what's called sitr achir, a whole other side. A whole other side. Malachim and neshamas don't have another side. They have a small awareness of the divine, but they define themselves in terms of godliness. Their very definition is based on a concealment. If there would be no concealment, then Ein Saif would be present. It excludes all other realities. You can't have a Balgvul, a finite reality, experiencing God in the presence of God. To have an experience of Hashem, you have to have the concealment of Hashem. But that's even Olam Haba. To experience Hashem, you have to have a concealment, which is generally a rule. In, in the title of the Balatanya, that every experience of something requires that that something is concealed. Because if it's not concealed, I can't experience it, I'm one with it. So therefore, the ultimate Hester, the ultimate Hester, the ultimate concealment is this world. So now, when you're fighting a war, you could always deal with the derivatives, with the manifestations of the enemy, or you could go into the core. As long as you don't go into the core, you won't defeat the enemy. That's why Truman decided he has to throw the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You could fight in the Pacific, fight on this island, fight on that island, so you'll kill another hundred, you kill another thousand, you kill another ten thousand, you're not getting anywhere. You have to go to the core. But the core is always the greater, toughest place, because that's where the greatest resistance is. So this is what Alter Rebbe's Chiddush Pshat and the Zohar. All of existence is based on concealment. But where is the core of the concealment? Where is the real concealment? 
Where is the greatest measure of concealment that's in this world? When a Jew in this world subdues Sitra Akhira on any level, it may be the most minute and slightest progress and advance. What happens? He busts the bubble. He puts a needle in the balloon of, of Helen. He challenges the concealment in its most ferocious core. In its most powerful place. So now what happens? There's now a ripple effect in all the universes from the highest to the lowest. An opening is created. The resistance is removed. The concealment is removed. So, In all of the worlds, even the highest, highest, highest universe is completely redefined from a place of concealment to a place of revelation. Why? Because somebody down here had to confront Sitrachar. So when you're dealing with the struggle down here, it doesn't seem very dramatic. It can't. It seems so pathetic that you even have to deal with it. A person is davening, or a person is learning, or a person is sitting by the computer in the middle of the day, or a person is eating lunch, and suddenly they have the, this most ugly, grotesque, primitive, immoral temptation, addiction, thought, instinct, habit that comes into them. And respectfully but firmly they dismiss it from their mind. And if you'll ask them at this moment, what did you just do? He'll say, what did I do? (laughs) I tried not to fall into the abyss. You will not attribute much significance to what you did. You dismissed a simple thought or emotion out of your brain because from past experience you know where this is leading. You know where this is leading. At first glance, you didn't do much. On the contrary, you feel so bad with yourself that you even had to dismiss such an ugly thought. That's from your vantage point. From Hashem's vantage point, what happened? You just changed all of reality from the highest to the lowest level. On all levels, because you put a burst, you burst Sitrachah, basically you turned to that thought and you said, you're not true. Or I should say, not you're not true. You're not the ultimate truth. I don't have to embrace you as the ultimate truth. Basically, you busted it. You penetrated the darkness. You m- created a hole in the helm. You basically told this helm, there's a God in the world. So now what happens? In every single world, even in the highest, highest worlds, is Talik. You call it the Kuchabricho Bechulu Almond. In all the worlds, there's now less helm. There's now opening. Because what did you do? You basically revealed the secret. The Manhattan Project. You got the secret. You basically told Sitrach that you're a cover-up. That's it. In other words, your entire definition of existence is essentially a cover-up. You're here in order to bring out a truth. That's what you're here. You're here to create the challenge that allows for human creativity to reveal the truth of existence. So basically, you reveal that the cover-up is basically only a cover-up. It's not reality. Yeah. It's a very... You, you, you shine light on darkness. Yes. So how is that a piercing? It lets the light in? Yes. So that, that's how you illuminate the world. Yes. Even though it's not real, what you're confronting isn't yes, real. Yes, yes. You're punching through, du- through smoke. You're punching through smoke. You're cas
I'm not scared of you. You're not as dark as you look. That's basically what you're saying. In a way... It's a fog. Huh? It's like a fog. Yeah. I'm not going... You're not as dark as you look. Your message, what you say, is not really what you are. <coughs> because the truth is that you're not really, really concealing the insight. From our perspective, the oilam doesn't have the insight. It's is our this, vantage point. Is this something like a psychosis? I mean, we're, we're, no, I'm serious. Where a person has, like, uh, uh, we work with people who, who talk to voices, okay? And they don't want to take medication because taking the medication will, like, uh, take them out of the world and they can't function, okay? So they deal with these voices, but what they learn how to do is to say, you're not real, okay? Yeah, there's people talking to them. There's, yeah, they're talking to guys from Mars. But they're saying, I reject you. I know that you're nothing. And they, they confront this, okay. this Excellent question. Here you have to be very careful, okay? First of all, I make this disclaimer once in a few months. And that is, when we start learning about these things, nobody should think that if they needed medication and they have treatment from a professional psychiatrist, these conversations could substitute that. Do not think so. Okay? Because sometimes that becomes a great demon where you realize, you think you could start dealing with your own darkness and you don't have the tools and the resources. And then you start blaming the people who were trying to help. That's not what I was thinking. I know that. I know that's not what you suggested. I'm just saying it as an important disclaimer. And for the individuals who had to hear it, hear it. And don't attribute it to any of these maimar and bechlal at all. Okay, this doesn't substitute any treatment that a person needs, especially if it's chemical or serious and deep, number one. Number two, in terms of what you're saying, you're right, but you're wrong. Isn't that a good Jewish answer? Yes. And let me explain to you what I mean. When you say to the voice, it's not true, you have to be very careful what that means. If you mean that it's not true, you don't exist, don't do that. Because it's going to come to haunt you and bite you. Sometimes we love to be idealistic, and therefore we want to deny certain emotions and experiences. And we say, oh, I think you're real, but you're not real. What's going to happen is, in a week from now, this devil is going to come to bite you, and he's going to show you that he's more real than you ever imagined. You understand? And then you crash. Because you say, oh, I thought I was this. And suddenly you realize, no, you're the same thing. And you lose everything. And that's a big mistake people make in Avodah Hashem. They create an ideal uh, reality in which all these stupid things are not real. They're not real. And you may be in a state that today you could get away with it. The problem is, in a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, something is going to happen. Ooh, is it going to be real? And basically it's going to delegitimize the entire spiritual experience and you give up. This happens constantly to people, especially young people. They give up because they were taught that there's a certain idealistic framework in which they can operate and which they don't have to deal with filth and dirt and promiscuity and insecurity and pain and, and all the good words that uh, you can uh, add on that you deal with. And we have to be extremely careful with this, very People could fall very, very hard because it's based on a sheker. It's not real. What we're talking about is something a little more mature. And that is, you're real. You're real. This is part of my journey towards infinity. My journey towards infinity includes these voices. It includes this reality. So I don't have to get frustrated by it and depressed by it. I give meaning to it rather than escape it. 
There's two approaches. One is it doesn't exist. It does exist. A better way and a deeper way is it does exist. But instead of it defining me, let me define it. Instead of the voices kidnapping me and defining me based on the voice, I am in the position where I can define the meaning of the voice. I could say Sitra Achen is there to create an opportunity for Iskafi Sitra Achen. That's already different. I don't have to run from it. I don't have to deny it. I could show up to life with all of my experiences without amputating half of my personality because I don't like it. Because whenever you amputate half of your personality because you don't like it, you're basically living a false life. And when that comes back to you, it's going to be very painful. But you're exerting your will. You're exerting your will. But you're defining the sitra akhri. You're giving it meaning. You're not giving it unnecessary, an unnecessary interpretation that causes you to enter into a rut because it's so powerful. You define the meaning of its power. That's the difference. You understand what I'm saying? You're breaking the code. Yeah. It's a very lofty idea. I understand that if I will subdue my machshava zoros, that will allow Yakra to burst out of this balloon and spread everywhere. I understand it will spread into the olam, a very high realm of malachim, where now there will be less helim and the Ein Sof will be more evident. But if, if it's going to extend through the Yakra and, and it's going to extend, it will also be obviously in this world. How is he going to see more of the Boshon and feel less helim tomorrow in davening if I subdue my machshava zoros? What's the mitzvah? It's a beautiful idea. But where do we see it? That, 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 that anybody will feel a, a better geshmak in their davening because I stand in Shemones race subdued my machshava zoros. Where, where did the yakra come to them? Where do we see such a It's the butterfly effect. It's even the no, same yeah. person. But it's even, you can ask the same person. The, the Gemara says in Masech Yuma, milmata, Somebody who sanctifies themselves a little bit below, they sanctify him a lot from above. What is this concept? This is the idea. The idea is, whenever there is a metzius, a reality, that a person engages in the skafi sitra achara, there's a certain ray of holiness that enters into the person's life. People who exercise this muscle consistently know it. Every, every time there's an element of a skafis whether it's in thoughts or in words or in actions or whatever it is that the person is dealing with, that creates an explosion of holiness. Where is this explosion of holiness created? Everywhere, in all of reality. As a result of that explosion, there's a spark. From the explosion, there is a, uh, a funk, a... Uh, Huh? Okay, let's do a spark, a funk, a nitzutz, that enters also into the person. And something opens up. Something opens up. They may feel it today, they may feel it tomorrow, but there's a difference. Something happens to the person. You're right. Yes. Every, when the, whenever you're dealing with a greater darkness... That means the baruch, the, the, the breakthrough is much more powerful because you're dealing with an enemy, you're dealing with a more core level of the enemy. So you're going into it. the core. He may not feel, you when, feel. when my eye burst a little bit. Of, uh, yeah, or, or, or he may feel something, he may not know what he's feeling. We once spoke about the vart of the Magid, you remember? Uh, about Mada Allah Chsani Savid. Yeah? 
a beautiful word from the Mizritcha Magid once said over. It's an extraordinary word. The Gemara says in Shabbos, Lamed Aleph, that a non Jew came to Shammai and said, Teach me the whole Torah on one leg. So Shammai threw him away. Get out of here. He doesn't have patience. Teach me the whole Torah on one leg. With 35 seconds, all of Judaism. So he comes to Hillel. So Hillel says, What you dislike to be done to you, don't do to somebody else. That's the whole Torah. Everything else is commentary. Go to study the commentary. So the, cost, the question is a well-known question. Shammai says in Perkei heavy metabolism, Kaladim Besevi Panam Yafiz, greet everybody nicely. Why doesn't he behave? Why doesn't he practice what he preaches? He throws him out. Tell him you're not ready for it. It's not the way you go about it. You could push somebody away cordially. You don't have to take a stick and throw him out of the shul or the basement. So the Magid explains the story on a much deeper level. He says that this man came and he asked for one one request. The request is Lamdeni Kola Kula Al Regal Achas. Regal Achas we translate on one leg, on one foot. In other words, I'm standing on one foot, teach me everything. Another interpretation of Regal Achas means Achas means the same. Al Regal Achas, teach me the whole Torah on the same foot. I want to remain on the same footing, on the same standing. I want that the inspiration I have today should always be there. Al regal achas. I want to remain on the same regal, the same yisoy, the same foundation, the strong, firm foundation I have today. I want it to always remain there. I should always be on a high, always inspired. So shamay dochfei ba masa binyin. What's a masa binyin? The stick of construction. Shammai told them the definition of Bria Sa'olam is Vahi Erev, Vahi Voiker Yoimecha. There's night and day, darkness and light. There's no such a thing, only light. There's sunset and sunrise by everybody. Hillel explained to him what Shammai was saying. The two weren't arguing. Hillel, in his own way, explained Shammai's message. What was Hillel's explanation? What you dislike to be done to you, don't do to anybody else. What was the Vart? Says the Magid like this. This man is a convert. He was a Gentile. Why would a normal sane Gentile want to become Jewish? Yeah. And the Gemara says in Yevom is that Yitaka have to tell. What was felt as the eyes? What do you need to become a Jew? Why do you right away have to become a target of anti Semitism? What do you need it for? Be a fine Gentile, right? Go golfing, eat a little bit, drink a little bit, hopefully make a little money and build a canoe and go out to the go out to the river. Huh? That's what Jews try to do. It's a health day of Titabankus, Jews. You ever saw a Jew happy with a canoe? I'm still looking for that Jew. I remember I once met, uh, I was at a seminar once. It was an Italian therapist there. His name is Tony. So I said, I, I knew him. I said, Tony, how are you? He said, perfect. <laughs> I was shocked. He says, why are you shocked? He said, I, I said, I'm Jewish. I have asked thousands of people, how are you Jews? I never, ever <laughs> heard a Jew say, perfect. The best you'll hear is, not too bad. <laughs> and it means he probably made $10 million that day. <laughs> not too bad. Whereas they would say here, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem could be miserable, but Baruch Hashem. Yeah. Perfect. Who's perfect? Okay. 
So Hillel says, why, why did he become a Jew? Why did he become a Jew? It's the Gemara never says a Lashen Goyish in his guy. The Gemara's Lashen is always Geish in his guy. It's a strange thing. You don't say Gadl Shehigdil, Katan Shehigdil. A minor becomes an adult. A Gentile it becomes a Jew. A convert doesn't convert. A non-Jew converts. Says the Chidah, the reason he converted is because he was a convert before he converted. Because he had the spark of a Jew. It was dormant. It was latent. Asks Hillel, what happened suddenly <coughs> that your spark came to the fore. What happened? What happened that these embers suddenly burst into a flame? What happened? The answer is, there was a soul of a Jew who had a nephila, who fell down into a spiritual abyss. And instead of remaining there, he picked himself up, and he lifted himself out of the abyss. But you know what he slept with? He slept with you! Your sparks came with him. As he lifted himself up, you came up with him. Now, what are you saying? You're saying you want to remain on top. You want to remain on top. What you dislike to be done to you, don't do to anybody else. If somebody, if every, if there would be no Jew who would have an afila, would have a spiritual downfall, you would never be uplifted. It's like a seesaw. Somebody had to go down for you to come up, like a scale. Maskele, mishkel. Somebody had to come down, go down for you to come up. Now you're saying, I don't want to go down. I want to stay up. Madalach sani, what you would dislike to be done to you because you would have never emerged. Don't do that to somebody else. That was Hillel continuing Shammai's theme. So somebody has to go down into the abyss in order for you to come up. And somebody did. And somebody did that successfully. So, understand, this ger doesn't know who went down, but something happened. It happens by osmosis, there's an energy, right? So, we don't know, we don't know the interconnectedness of people and the interconnectedness of the universe. But we all know that sometimes walking in the street, you have a flash. Sometimes sitting on the couch, you have a flash. Sometimes, out of the blue, you have a moment of inspiration. You don't know what happened. Where did you get this moment of inspiration? It's not like you prepared. Sometimes you prepared, but sometimes something happens. Say, it's Eurus. So there could be many factors. One of them may be that there's some soul connection with somebody who's going through something, and he came out of it. Or he's working on it. He did a skafi sitra achira, and there was an explosion of Kedusha in the world. And that explosion of Gdusha suddenly enters into your psyche. And it enters, first of all, into his psyche. And that's why people are transformed when they do this type of work. When a person engages in a skafis on a continuous level, it creates a real dent in a personality, and it creates changes in the human being's heart, in the human being's psyche. But the change to expect is not a transformation where there's no darkness anymore. That expectation is unrealistic and becomes painful because we decide that our connection to God depends on the fact that there's no Sitra Akhira. And that's an assumption that's not the correct assumption. On the contrary, in this world there is Sitra Akhira. And it's the crushing of Sitra Akhira, or I should say the confrontation of Sitra Akhira, that makes this world the axis upon which all of the universes rotate. So when a malach or a neshaming a neiden does something, okay, you're dealing with a little concealment. But here in this world, you're basically taking on 
the source of electricity of all Sitra Akhra. This is the source. This is the power plant. You know what I mean? You could shut the fuse, you could cut a wire here in the building, so you'll cut the wire, what happens? We won't have light. Yeah. But if you go to the power plant, you go to the source, and there you cut, then it becomes dark everywhere. It becomes dark everywhere. Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, in, in the risk by the Soloveitchiks, they say a myself about Reb Chaim, that he, uh, Reb Chaim left the Aguda. He, he was the founders of the Aguda, and he left the Aguda. So they say that one of the reasons he gave was, he said, Amalek Etzaiten, this is a very classic word. Amalek Etzaiten, he said, in the olden days, every house had its own lanterns. You had uh, candles at Gebrent, you sat and you learned, and I had mine. What if mine was extinguished? Yours wasn't. He said, then they started to create electricity. So he says, all the houses get their light from one, one place, one source. He says, it's beautiful, you don't have to work so hard. But the problem is, if somebody who doesn't deserve access gets access to that place, we're all in the dark. He says, Chazal understood very well that the power of Judaism will come through decentralization. He didn't use that word, but I'm using that word. Decentralization means every, every community, every house has its own light, its own Rabbonim, its own Rosh Hashivas, its own Talmud Chachamim. And you know what? One place Kataka become very corrupt. The light goes out. But it doesn't affect the light somewhere else. Because when you make one body that becomes in charge of everybody, oy, 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 oy. as long as it's happy, great, it's great, everybody's together. But the moment that gets manipulated, it's all over. That was his vart. Which was a very wise insight into why Chazal dissolved the Sanhedrin at a certain point in history. No Supreme Court, no central body governing Klal Yisrael already for 1500 years. When Kiddush HaChadosh stopped, why? What do we need Machloikas in Sfardim, with Ashkenazim, with Chassidim, with Nusnagdim, with Nusach Ashkenaz, with Nusach Taimon, with Rais on Pesach, no Rais on Pesach, Yegebrox, no Gebrox, Minhagim, Nuschoyes, Sheitlach, Spitzlach, Tichlach, Vichuli, 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 right? And so many other differences in terms of culture and tradition and text. They are, with the Sanhedrin, none of this would happen. No, 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 be one say one sit, and everybody would use the same sit, and that's it. It was a central body, and the answer, of course, is that this is actually what saved the Jewish people because the integrity could remain intact always. The reform movement came and completely redefined Judaism. Imagine there was a Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was hijacked by reform. What would be? That's what Napoleon wanted. Napoleon in the early 1800s made a Sanhedrin. He wanted to make a Sanhedrin. He made one. What would happen? The whole Jewish world would fall into the abyss. What happens is, the texts remain unscathed, intact. And even if you have hundreds of communities in Khalil, they all go corrupt. But there's a Jew somewhere in the corner of the world, in his corner, and over there Judaism remains in its full integrity. So, what seems like a negative thing becomes an advantage. What am I bringing out here? When you're dealing with a power plant, right, when you go to the core, when you go to the source and you cut the wires there, everybody loses their electricity. So that's in the negative sense. In the positive sense, he says here, because in this world the concealment reaches its peak, 
So when you tamper with the wires here, the sitra akhira here, you are in the power plant. You're in the core. And when you're in the core, there could be a lot of casualties because it's very intense. But you're dealing here with the nuclear level of energy. Nuclear sitra akhira. This is not small. This is atomic. Because it's atomic, what you do here ultimately has a ripple effect, a domino effect, or a ripple effect everywhere. So therefore, in this world, everywhere the concealment is redefined. What do we mean it's redefined? From a state of absolute concealment, it becomes redefined as a hechitimtza, a definition, a din in Gileyalakus. Meaning, just like Sitra Akhara here becomes redefined from something that is Sitra Akhara, it really becomes an opportunity for a new level of Kedusha. That's what it is. So it's all part of the holistic journey of the human being. On all levels, the concealment is seen not as an essential concealment, but simply as a portal for revelation through the concealment. That can only happen in this world. If it happens in any other world, it doesn't have that effect. So therefore, a person has to be able to cherish those opportunities. So as he put here, he put, he put it here, it always starts with Sur Meirah, before Asetav. Sur Meirah is breaking the bubble. It's putting a needle in the balloon. It's breaking the resistance. It's penetrating the wall. It's punching the wall. And knowing that there's something on the other side, even though it doesn't show it. In Krishna we say, That's the classic Don't fall, don't go astray after your heart and after your eyes, because they are the two messengers that are extremely tempting. That is That's the Surmeirah. What does that do? Everywhere the concealment is popped, is busted. Then through Asetoiv, through the mitzvahs, the positive, then there's actually the resistance is substituted, the concealment is substituted with a Gileyalikos. That's why the system is Surmeira and then Asetoiv. The Hamshacha, the positive Hamshacha. First is undoing the Hester, and then the Imamshacha. Meaning, taking a person's life. You could share with a person the greatest information for their life, but you can't get anything through. Sometimes you could tell somebody something about their life. It's exactly what they have to hear. But they were simply not ready to hear it. Five years later, you say the same thing, it changes their life. What happened? Five years earlier, there was too much toxicity. Too many blockages. Too many blockages. So you could give me and give me and give me all the information. I can't do anything with it because I can't hear you. It can't penetrate. It's too much, too much darkness. Five years later, the person did some work. They're open to it. That's why in life, people hear different things at different stages, and it has a whole different impact. You could have heard the same message four years ago, three years ago. You would dismiss it as stupidity or heresy or irrelevant. We already know it. You know, I already know this. I, why do I know it? I know it because I can't deal with any new information. Of course I know it. I know everything. So that's why, right? You, I, who, what don't I know? I know everything. I can't even hear new information. It's, no, it's, too, it's, torment, it's tormenting. It's the same information. We all hear differently right now. Right now, yeah. Every person sitting in this room is in a different place. No two people are in the same place. Different backgrounds, different life experiences, different disappointments, different frustrations. 
right? If you'll ask, if you'll go around the room, maybe one day we have to do it, and you'll ask everybody, what did you take out from this shear for your personal life? You'll hear 40, 50, 60 different answers. Huh? Yeah, and there will also be very interesting answers, right? One guy will say, uh, I was actually thinking about something else. Uh, one guy will say, I was sleeping. Uh, one guy will say, I was texting. And one guy will say, wow, this is something that answered a question of 20 years. <laughs> what does it depend on? It depends on, huh? Depends on where you are, completely where you are. Yeah. Sometimes a person will learn the same mimer, one year apart, two years apart, same words. It's a whole different experience, completely different experience. Because you could hear the same words, but I'm not ready to hear it. Or I'm ready to hear a certain level. It goes till here, can't go further. I'll only get the superficial component out of it, because I'm not open to it. And sometimes when you're open to it, there could be a stalik, yikara, the kutshebrich. That's a very powerful idea, that if there's no loisa surah, you're not open to any light. There's just too many blockages. You can't do it. You have to create openings. The only way to create openings is through discipline. There has to be control. There's certain things I can't allow. As long as a person is perpetuating a certain cycle of behavior, they cannot experience anything else. You know what I mean? It's like a person wants to feel good physically, but they will not stop eating everything they desire. You have to choose. Either you're filling your system up. Huh? That's what uh, Dr. Michelle can explain to you well. He wants everything. He wants to feel good. He wants liberation. He wants to feel swift and agile and uh, full of electricity and vigor. But he doesn't want to stop anything else. It doesn't work that way. And it's very hard. We want the cake. We want to eat it too. Pun intended. I don't mean it as a metaphor. We want the cake. We want to eat it too. And we want the Likudotet afterwards as well. Chayvah Salavavis writes... Just like you can't have fire and water coexisting in one vessel, you can't experience a love to God and an addiction to physical materialism in the same person. It's it's, it's just one has to yield. It doesn't mean I can't I can I can coexist with a struggle, but it can't coexist if I'm not ready to. Uh, to deal with it, yeah. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.